0: e-commerce expansion myths blasted successful cross-border expansion help listen to the show to hear how one uk company is helping
1: e-commerce sellers successfully expand into europe and double their profits hosted by andy hooper of global e-commerce experts
0: so good afternoon everyone and welcome to today's podcast uh this is a podcast I'm really excited about. So welcome to Global E-commerce Expanders podcast and how you can successfully expand into Europe. But today's special guest, Uh, is someone who has been making massive inroads in the last I would say last four years because you know as an entrepreneur you know it's all like well it happened all overnight well clearly it didn't happen all overnight and that's what we're going to go into. So uh, Kaz welcome to the the Global Expander Secrets podcast so thank you very much for joining me.
1: Yeah thank you great to be here thank you very much. Uh,
0: So Kaz do you want to give a a quick bio: uh, Who you are, where you are, where you are currently. Don't go into that in too detail, because we're gonna we're gonna dive deep into that.
1: And yeah, no problem. Yeah, I'm the founder and CEO of OnBuy.com, uh, one of the fastest growing marketplaces in the world. We uh, certainly uh, turning some heads recently. We we set out to launch a, a level playing field for uh, sellers and buyers. Uh, been doing a, a really you know interesting job there. Growing the business, We're, sales are in excess of 170 million, and um, we've been onboarding retailers at an ever-increasing pace. So it's a really, really interesting time for the company.
0: Wicked. And, and I'm going to come directly back to that in a minute. But before I get, I just want to ask one question on that. How weird does it feel saying things like the fastest-growing marketplace right now? Do, like, Because clearly you didn't say that at the beginning. You couldn't say that. Like, But now, how does that actually feel?
1: Yeah, it's good. I mean, I, I've it's the the rhetoric's changed. You know, if you go back, it used to be, "Look, I I will make one of the fastest growing marketplaces. I will be top three in the UK. I will do these things. I knew how to do them and and, and whatnot." But nothing proves like proof, right?
0: Because <laughs> there's lots of people that talk about it. The proof's in the pudding.
1: Uh, absolutely. Honestly, it's it's so true. And you're saying to you know, if you go back, whether it be retailers or investors or anybody whoever you're talking to you know saying this is what we are going to do this is how we're going to do it and everybody just raising one eyebrow a little bit like i don't know if you can do this you know let's see um and then to have those conversations as as it's developed has been really interesting and we've grown 13 times in 13 months which is just phenomenal
0: wicked i love that i love any story like that that's there's that goes. It just, it's just epic. So let's before we get too deep into that, what I want to do is just wind the clock back a little bit because you're not, you know, you're not an old lad, are you? I'm 36. 36. Well, some might class that as old. I don't. Know. Yeah. I don't because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just a few years ahead of you, so I don't class yeah. that as old. So my my kids,
1: my kids call it old, but I like to think that I'm on the right side of 50. You know, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so, you know obviously the idea hasn't come out of nowhere but we're gonna go all the way back a bit further so talk me through where, where did you grow up
1: I grew up in Manchester a town called Ermston and um, you know fairly um, middle class and uh, you know normal you know upbringing and um, yeah I was always entrepreneurial back then so quite a quite a story but yeah very very modest roots
0: so when you say so what i love what did you sell at school
1: <laughs> oh my goodness putting me on the spot um well i mean I, i've had a job since i was really young i remember being 10 and getting my first job um but what you was know, that I, I, uh, actually delivering milk okay
0: yeah
1: yeah i took a weekend milk round with the milkman and i was intrigued and that grew to work in the stores and supermarkets until i got to about 13 when i started realizing that i could uh, sell solutions to supermarkets but and uh, so yeah, but I was a pretty a pretty normal kid, but uh, always had that entrepreneurial flair. and to be quite frank, I see it in my son now. so I think I think it's just something in the gene. I don't know where it came from.
0: Yeah, because well, whenever I talk to different business owners, most you entrepreneurs, you know, people that are coming up with ideas, right? They've always, they did either they worked or they they were selling stuff at school or whatever it was. like it, it it's mental.
1: Oh, so, there was a lot of selling stuff as well. I mean in school, you know, we we were we were we were anything that we could sort of get our hands on or be involved with, but
0: you know. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And so you left school. Did you do university or anything like that?
1: Well, I went in the military first. Um, ah. I finished school, went sixth form, then at 17 I had an itch to really get out of Manchester, to be honest. So um I just wanted to get go further afield, felt quite trapped and and really wanted to go for it. So I joined the Royal Navy. Um and then I joined as a rating, not an officer. And then while I was in, I got my papers raised and went through officer training. And then um, a, a conversation around education came up and I thought, oh, that maybe I should have done a degree. And I was supported by my um, divisional officer at the time. Uh, and I said, look, I, w- I want to do a degree. And she agreed that that would be cool. So I went to Bournemouth University to do a law degree. Um, and at 22, uh, actually, maybe still 21, I set up my first limited company because I found the pace of university so slow. Um, and then, yeah. you know, by the time I was 24 in my last year at uni, uh, I, had, I had 27 staff. So I grew up very Fantastic. quick.
0: So let, let's touch on that. So what, so you, so you was in the Navy, where, which ship did you serve on? Or uh, did uh, serve?
1: I, I, I didn't do ships. Uh, I was mostly land-based, air-based. So I was in the fleet air arm. Okay. Uh, which is a yep. little bit like, you know, the Navy's, uh, you know, Air Division.
0: Where was um, you based?
1: I was, finally, I was based in Cornwall in Helston. Cold Rose. Cold Rose.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Epic. I, um, yeah. I, uh, one little story, well, well, this story I love. I was in the Sea Cadets as a kid. <laughs> cool. Anyone that doesn't know what Sea Cadets, basics like... M- Mini kids running around pretending they're in the Navy, right? Yeah. Uh, Epic experience uh, as a kid. And they did uh, a trip as I was 11 years old. My first year at senior school is what I remember. First summer holiday, so I might have been 12. And they put me on a train and sent me to, if you don't know Cornwall, it's called the Lizard. They sent me basically down to Cornwall on a train on my own at 12. Can you imagine doing that now? You just (laughs) wouldn't be able to do it, would you, right? Sent me down there. And part of being at called Rose as a sea cadet, they put you in a helicopter and he did a helicopter ride in a sea king and they took you up in a sea king and then they cut the engine and literally the helicopter just free i don't know if they cut the engine but anyway what happens is is the helicopter just free falls out you're 12 years old the, the doors are open on the sea king and you can see out like there's no like it was like oh anyway yeah that's, that's, that's
1: pretty cool i mean i was on merlin aircraft but
0: Okay. Um,
1: yeah. Been seeking as well. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a great great experience that really gave me a a really good uh, you know uh, sense of uh, of what was out there. You got to think I was siloed in Manchester as a as a young laddie. and um, I didn't really know how to break out into the wider world. And I would say the military was a brilliant catalyst for me realizing that you know you can do anything, you can go anywhere. And the, the navy took me to Canada and to Ireland and. You know, all kinds of things I was involved with as well um, at sea, too, with an incident, the submarine incident in 2005. Um, You know, so yeah, it was a great, great way to start a working career.
0: So then I love, so then decided, well, I want to do, I want more, I want to educate myself, I want to learn. You decided to do a law degree. Why law?
1: Um, Truth be told, someone just said to me, you know, if you're going to do a degree, make sure you do, you know, a good degree um in a in a good subject and I remember being well I don't really know what I want to do I, I'm very driven and, and I didn't want to do IT because I didn't really feel it was a huge a huge uh, yep. amount for me to to focus on in IT um and I didn't want to be a developer so I just thought well law sounds like a tricky one we'll do that you know let's 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 let's, let's do that for a bit But then the pace of it and everything was from coming out the military, you know, I don't think people realize when you when there's something to learn, they make you learn it really, really quickly. I remember doing a period of about nine months of constant exams um, and it's nothing like university. You know, we were revising till four o'clock in the morning, getting up at six o'clock in the morning, just two hours sleep, getting in, doing the exam. Um, and then immediately next literally next minute after finishing that exam right next subject you know and we'll do another test in four days and it was intense at one point and um, and and then coming to university where it's a bit like okay you've got these you've got these lectures and, and a couple of reading hours and and then the rest of it you've got nothing to do and I was like this is insane you know I can't do this so that's why I ended up setting up my first company.
0: So what was that first company?
1: Uh, we built well I'd already been involved since I was about 14 in in web development and web design not myself doing it but I used to pull other people in and I used to I used to basically I've always had a knack to understand what businesses are trying to achieve and translating that back to what we should actually build um which is a language barrier in itself sometimes between dev and business so um I'd already been involved in web for most of my young life. And then even in the military, we're still helping some companies and stuff. But then I just decided, you know, I can give this a real good go. And then we got involved in web design, web development. Um, We grew that uh, over a period of years. We ended up partnering with a major IT company at one point who bought in. And then we we ended up doing solutions for NATO and the NHS. And we worked in nine countries across e-commerce, recycling technology. And basically people would come in and say, I've got this idea for a business. And we used to sit and help them bring it to life. So, yeah, exciting for a few years.
0: So, was you still in the Navy at this point? Because you said... That no, like, no, they, they let, let me go. go they, they, they,
1: they let me go to do my degree. Uh, I had the right to go back and um, they kept the door open for me. Uh, and I really actually wanted... Uh, my whole life, I always wanted to go back. But, you know, I realised that there was just something... Uh, itching to to get on and and prove that there's something a, a bigger picture that I really wanted to be involved with. So you know, my heart is still very much in the Royal Navy, but my working career has taken me on a on a pivot.
0: Yeah, well, everyone goes on these pivots. Um, so <laughs> how long did you have that company for then? Uh,
1: well, I grew that company. We 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 opened some subsidiaries and we changed name. We tried different things. We focused on on then the consultancy side and the management side. But we did that, and we we, we ran through a group of uh, a few different companies until around uh, two thousand fourteen. So until we started on
0: by. Okay, so um, so over that period then, so you, you've obviously run that for quite a long time. Yeah, that, yeah, we uh, did
1: that uh, about, about um, ballpark eight nine years. I mean, we still had some clients when once we'd started on by, and we had to end some contracts, you know, and move those clients on nicely to their next providers. But yeah, eight nine years in web dev, yeah.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And so, so that really set you up then for the on-buy piece, I guess, from from a web development you point of view and understanding the market in that area.
1: Yeah, we had a thousand e-commerce clients at one point. We were consulting businesses how to scale internationally, grow their products, you know, use and leverage marketplaces to create scale and drive efficiency in the business and. You know, it's quite easy to summarize, but every business is different, and you get involved and look at how volume can reduce buy prices, or maybe you know improve manufacturing process, and um, realize very quickly that these marketplaces that we were consulting businesses to work with were going through their own development journeys from you know what we well let's put it this way when we started working with clients it was hey like we need to use marketplaces we need to use these marketplaces to leverage their huge customer base and grow their business and all of these things that we would use in that fixed cost route to market would help my clients to scale and everything else and then towards the end of the advice up until we said okay enough's enough we're gonna we're gonna do something about this uh the advice had changed to okay look we need to look at marketplaces but we need to look really carefully and we need to make sure that you know, we protect your products. Can we wrap them in a, in, a, in a trademark? Can we look at some solution to protect your products? Can we keep some of your secret products, your best-selling products off the marketplaces and sell those through other mechanisms? And then I realized, why are we doing this? You know, why are my clients partnering with marketplaces and they're thinking that the marketplace is, you know, there to enable and help and assist. And actually, a lot of these marketplaces are just taking data, trying to steal their products, source their products from other means. And or if they couldn't do that, manufacturing their products. And I had so many clients that had been approached by marketplaces saying, look, we want to we want to check the authenticity of your product. Can you send us invoices to prove, you know, that these products are legitimate? Um, and of course, they do that in a flurry. Like, you know, of course, yeah. of course they are. Um, and then lo and behold, the suppliers of the products getting phone calls from the marketplaces saying, you know, we want to buy this product and we want to buy it at this price. And you just think, wow, wow, how can this happen? And then you can see where the idea was born.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So, so that idea came about. So when did that idea first come about?
1: Truth is, you know, we, we, we started thinking about this in 2012. Um, we actually soft launched a very, very basic version of OnBuy in 2013. Um, just to make sure before we start throwing money at it that it was going to be, you know, well received. Yeah. Uh, and then when that was proven and we built up a base of people that really wanted to work with us, uh, we we I put the first half million pounds into the business in January 20, uh, sorry January twenty fourteen. Yeah. Uh, and then we started building and we went online in November the seventh two thousand sixteen. So it took us you know a while to build the platform because there's a a lot of infrastructure needed for marketplaces i'm sure you you appreciate
0: yeah fantastic so on that journey so before we dive into that that sort of that beginning startup phase and what that looks like you know from your military career what what do you think you took out of that you you've gone out of school gone into the navy what what is it from the military do you think that really you know, um, help set you up and give you a good standing, if you like, you know, to that you still utilize today?
1: Yeah, I think the military was a good thing for me. I was always extremely entrepreneurial and extremely driven. But the military gave the military sort of set me up with a missing piece, which is just self-discipline. Uh, and I don't mean discipline like people shouting at you, telling you what to do, because the truth is the UK Armed Forces, they're just not that way inclined, especially in the Navy, you know, and especially as you moving through the ranks and becoming you know uh taking on more intellectual roles as well they want you to do the thinking it's not like the movies of the american military where it can be a bit more drill sergeant approach um and it gives you you know one of the things that the military did also do when I first joined that i'll never forget and it sounds crazy but when i first joined the navy first thing they made you do for the first few weeks of very basic training was drink water and I used to think, what is this? You know, I thought I'd be actively involved, crawling through mud and all the stuff. like yeah, I didn't know what I was signing up for. I was very young and just needed to, to a change a break. Um, and actually, you know, just the simple things like your own fitness, drinking water, staying healthy, you know, and they really help you to understand what, what your body could do in 24 hours a day. What is physically possible? Because I tell you, when I joined at 17 into the military, I thought you know we needed 15 hours sleep a night or something. You know, I was a teenager. I <laughs> think. but to to learn very quickly that you're getting up in basic training, you know, at four o'clock in the morning, but you're not getting to bed until 11. And what can your body physically do with those hours? And how do you do that? You know, the calorie intake, the the the, the rest of the fitness, the water intake, staying hydrated. And you never forget that. So you, I know you know what where my limits are and and what you know, and how I should apply myself and what is enough and what isn't enough and how to deal with stress. And yeah, I mean, it certainly, I, I say to many people who have, you know, young teenagers that are a bit lost, you know, do, do, don't do rule out the military. It's not what you think it is. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still some trades that um, are, are, are still definitely maybe thrown into a different environment a bit, a bit too quickly, but uh, for young kids. But you know the the air force and the navy, especially in the fleet air arm and whatnot. They brought uh, they brought me to think differently, act differently, uh, and I I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I love that because know, yeah, uh, exactly that. You know, different people listen to this from different walks of life, and I think that's really really important. That you know, there's lots of kids out there right now. So I've got an 18 year old. You know, they you know, that whole a lot of their friends are like oh, I don't know what I want to do. I've got no idea whatsoever. Um, and it's interesting hearing that story you know it doesn't have to be a lifelong career which it probably was 50 years ago it's not really like that anymore is it yeah people are much more fluid within it
1: no and I was hugely entrepreneurial I mean I can't I can't express enough how entrepreneurial but um, and doing all kinds of things and, and always found a way to, to make money from selling or being involved with other businesses but what was missing was just that bit of life experience and I didn't know what to do next you know I didn't yep. didn't fancy a career in law or, or, or anything like that and I wasn't from a privileged background um, and, I, and I didn't know what was next and how to apply those skills but getting in and actually meeting people from all walks of life and in different, circumstances and being able to travel a bit of the world um there was second to non-learning experience that just really helped me see do you know what the world is extremely connected it's not as siloed as I felt coming from where I came from where you know we didn't really leave the area you know Um, and everybody you're growing up with stays in the area everyone gets jobs in the area no one really moves on Um, and actually realizing very quickly no there's a big world out there and you can go and make from it what you want
0: Yeah. So with the uh, IT sort of web business, what what was the how many staff did you have in the total in the end? There, Uh,
1: it grew to about thirty three before we shrank it back down to about fourteen once the business had uh, gone through a bit of a learning in what you know with the way the market was moving. We had salespeople at the start, for example, and then realised we didn't need to do that. We became quite well-known in the industry for what we did and we didn't need sales anymore. And, you know, but yeah, it finished at about 14 people and uh, those 14 people actually, you know, essentially moved into well, most of them moved into on by they were all offered roles in the, in the new company.
0: So with that first role though, what, what would you, do you think you out of that first business? What, what would be, you know, if you say, well, what was the number one thing you learned over that period that you took into you know, on by, if you like
1: Oh, I just think you mature. I don't think there's one thing. I think you mature. When I started, I didn't even know what VAT was, you know, and uh, yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you grow, you grow your business and you learn so much. I think, you know, coming from a background of not having support, it's even harder because when you start your business, you have to learn everything and you're going to learn either through mistakes or you're going to learn through experience. And, um, and that means you do learn a lot on, along the way. And, uh, I can't express enough how much was learned. I'm, I'm a learner. I absorb everything and I'm constantly pushing every direction.
0: On that Kaz, do you, mm-hmm. do you, when you say you learn, do you educate yourself or do you learn or is it a mixture of both? Yeah, it's, I mean?
1: it's, it's a bit of both. You know, I absorb everything from everyone that I've met on the journey. I'd interrogate accountants and, advisors and lawyers and if I got to meet somebody that was involved in a more senior business I'd do anything possible to get time with them and learn about their business structure and I was learning a lot from my clients too I had clients of various sizes Um, and uh, yeah I I, I just constantly on the learn so I think by the time I came to Mumbai I was well you know well learned in regard to lots of different business types lots of different countries and cultures around business that you know it really i would say on by is no accident this wasn't and i, I have to say this to investors sometimes you know you know, new investors should i say when you speak to them people have business ideas right people have careers and then one day they think oh i've got a business idea this is a really good business idea on by wasn't like that on by was literally you know all roads leading to a you know a a pivotal sort of point a, a pinnacle moment that's like well actually all of what we've learned in DevOps, scaling technology, building technology, testing, training, rolling out, delivery of software, managing e-commerce, clients, finances, VAT, international tax, couriers, manufacturing, marketplaces, uh, e-commerce solutions, APIs, integrations. You take the whole career and you map it all in. You go, actually, now I'm even talking about consultancy because we're, we're onboarding retailers, we're explaining why OnBuy is good for them and how the market can shift. We work with brands and you know, explain how we're going to make a huge dent in the market. And you just add up the whole career and you realize everything from the day that I left the Royal Navy has every single bit of it has been a piece of the puzzle that's helped create OnBuy.
0: Brilliant. So let, let's get, let's get into the on-buy piece. So you, obviously you said you, you created what I presume is like a minimum viable product to 2012, 2013, and mm-hmm. started testing it. Yeah. So you, you started testing it. So what was it called at the beginning? Was it called on-buy at the time? Yeah. Yeah. On-buy. Yeah. So where did the name come from?
1: Um, well, truth be told, and not everybody knows this, but when we were building e-commerce, you know, there was no big commerce. There was no Shopify. And there was only one platform that still exists so i won't name it and shame it but there was one platform that we we had to start with um and, but it wasn't very good for what we needed which was you know the ability to scale our com- our clients businesses aggressively and uh, not be limited by their framework so we took the decision to build an e-commerce platform and my first business was called on top uh on top web design and then that went on to on top management and then that went on to on commerce And then on just stage, you know, we built a platform, an e-commerce platform. We put hundreds of thousands of pounds of development into an e-commerce platform called OnCommerce. And we had around a thousand clients using it. And it helped us to scale really quickly. And off the backbone of that product, we said, you know, maybe we should launch the marketplace. And we flirted lots of ideas. Where I said, "No, I want to keep it on," you know. But on buy connects to because it was always online, right? So yep. when we as we evolved, it was like online commerce, on commerce, and then we turned to on buy. So it was like online buy. It kind of made sense. And then before you know it, it, it started to verbalize itself. You know, people just yep. just on buy just is what it is. It's the name of the product. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, on buy has just become very quickly a, a name that resonates in the industry. So, you yeah. know, it, it's almost like it doesn't have any roots when it does, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I love those little stories. So, so then you've, you then took a bit of time out So 2014 to 16 to basically build the platform, I'm guessing.
1: You know? Yeah. Build the platform, build some of the infrastructure needed. Yeah. Uh, it's always going to be tricky because marketplaces are incredibly difficult to launch. Yep. Um, and to make an e-commerce marketplace successful, you need to be able to onboard the retailers. To onboard the retailers, you need connectivity. But to get the connectivity, you need to be viable. How do you become viable if you haven't got the products to sell from the retailers? So you're stuck in what I used to call the marketplace conundrum. But yeah, building the platform out and then finally opening the door and saying, guys, now's the time. Let's go.
0: Yeah. So that that piece, in that that sort of period where you're building it, mm-hmm. like you, you've obviously tested the product. You believe in yourself. You know it's going to happen. like you just because you just have that belief don't you like yeah 100 percent. yeah right so you've taken the people from the old business into this one to help or give them the opportunity to help you do that so they're all sort of busy screwing away where is your expertise lying now obviously growing the business obviously without any shadow of a doubt but over that two years what were you obviously got developers doing the work Where, where was you sort of really focusing your time and energy uh
1: funding funding the business you know and i don't mean raising the money because we didn't want to raise money institutionally until there was revenue so for that two years i basically worked to help some of my key clients to grow and help them to scale so that i could keep money coming in to pay the team to actually go and build the product and obviously i I, am actually ceo and basically encompass the cto position at by as well at the moment for now because my background has always been in building out tech and tech stack and managing developers, DevOps, cybersecurity, everything else. So, you know, I took a hand in the building of the platform, but ultimately my main job was keep the revenue flowing to fund the business. You know, we were never yeah. in a position that we could throw 500 K into the pot, you know, from day one, I wish I was wealthy, but we weren't. And, um, you know, so we, we, we had to go and earn, earn those money to pay those salaries drive that forward and, and basically dedicated part of my life to just, Funding this team to deliver the product.
0: Yeah, wicked. And and that, so you launched it 2016. uh, You launched it, you know, day one. And, you know, had you already done work to get sellers already onboarded and and some marketing in place? What would that look like? Not
1: really. I mean, we'd we'd warmed a few people from 2013 with the soft launch, but not a lot. Um, And the problem in, in business is, How much do you want to say that isn't real yet? We've always, you always have to do that. You have to become a hype person when you own a business, right? You have, you have to, but it has to be tangible quickly. So what you don't want to do is in January 14, start saying what you're going to do. And actually it takes two years and 11 months or something to get live. Uh, That that would just be ridiculous. You just be, you know, so you basically have to sit on your hands a little bit and go, we need to wait until the time is right to do this, which is hugely painful for someone like me, because you want the time to be 10 minutes from now yeah um and you want to move quickly and you can already connect the dots before everyone's even delivered the platform you know exactly where you're going to start what you're going to do how you're going to do it but you know ultimately you don't have a product until you have a product so until the day we opened the doors we we didn't shout
0: yeah fantastic and over that first that first year then you know how many sort of how did you grow what was the key marketing thing that you went through because with a marketplace, you we know well, but people listening might not be so well. You know, not only do you need sellers, people are gonna sell products, retailers as you, you refer to them as, but you also need buyers, you need people to buy the products, and so not only have you got a market one end, you've got to market the other end as well. It's like yeah. double tap marketing, like funding's just I don't start.
1: think people realize quite how difficult it is to launch a marketplace. And we knew this when we set out, so we didn't walk into this blind, but um, I don't think other people truly realise how tricky. So you open your doors at day one. And you, as I said earlier, the marketplace conundrum. We say we're ready, we're ready, and we're going to make an enormous difference to the market, and we can tell you why. The platform isn't as solid as, as it will be in two years either, because we need to get trading to start raising money. But there's also an expectation in the market of what a marketplace should be, born by the largest company in the earth. So you know they've already had many, many, many millions invested in in technology. Um, and then you're saying to retailers come and sell with us and they're saying yeah okay this sounds great okay you know I can buy into this concept except you've got no traffic so is it worth my time listing products because then what's the retailer doing the retailers investing in something that you know is not necessarily worth their time at that point which is not what a business is going to do you know your time management in business is very 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 challenging as is, never mind taking gambles on things that, you know, haven't proven themselves yet. So we knew there would be, I used to call it the seesaw, right? The pivot effect, again, a pivotal moment that we felt if you have a seesaw and on one end, you've got, you know, do the retailers need on-buy and does on-buy need the retailers in, in, in the basic sense of to get selling, get moving. And we knew the seesaw was well and truly had 10 bricks on one side and nothing on the other. You know, we needed the retailers. We really, really did. But there was two things, or should I say we needed products to sell and there was two things we weren't willing to compromise on. I'll explain why. One is we weren't willing to compromise on our fee structure because we didn't want to, we knew that down the line, we wanted a level playing field for, Everybody to know exactly where they stand. No retailers on different fees is a key thing that some marketplaces do wrong. And then towards the end of the year, all of the retailers are going. I don't know how much I should be paying. I think my competitors on less than me, therefore I can't be competitive. And it's a race to the bottom on fees, which makes it incredibly difficult for a marketplace to gain market share because they're then having to lower fees. But then you're thinking, I'd rather sell this seller's products than that seller's product, and the whole thing becomes not a level playing playing field and the other thing we weren't prepared to compromise on is we made a commitment from from literally day inception point one we will never retail products we will never compete with our retailers now that means it's incredibly hard because you can't bridge the gaps in inventory by onboarding you know your own supply chain by selling your own products in areas that you need them which at the start of the marketplace journey is everywhere um, that would have been very, very easy to do. And to be quite frank, you know, a lot of marketplaces have started with marketplaces and emerged and evolved into retailers because it's very, very hard to get that that seesaw to tip.
0: Because that's really hard. You know, you can't get buyers without products. You can't get sellers without buyers. And exactly that, you're in that seesaw position where it's just impossible. So I can understand why some retail, some, some marketplaces will be like, well, look, Let's buy some of our own products and get that on there. So we've got something on there, but then you move into your problem, your value of, we're not going to compete. And that's really, really important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we were never going to flex on that. You know, that was a, honestly, that is embedded into the fibers of what we stand for. And the very reason that we created OnBuy was to be a partner to retailers, not a competitor. So that was a very, very important, you know, for us to stick to so actually it was an incredibly tough two years um, onboarding retailers that you know uh some would well for various reasons some would take a gamble and say do you know what i'll give this a go some might just not be the best retailers i.e. they're not making great sales elsewhere so they think well they may as well put their products in as many places as possible but that's not really going to be easy to sell the products um and various other you know bits and bobs that would would bounce around Once you get to a point that we had enough products in in enough places, it got easier, obviously. And then as traffic started to grow, it got easier again. And then once we started to actually make some significant significant market moves, it got easier again. And then that seesaw about eight months ago tipped. Um, And we had to stem the flow of retailers joining us. We had to actually put our hands out and say, we can't give you the experience if we onboard you too quickly. So we're going to cap it at 500 per month um and it's currently sitting as we're increasing resource and investing it's sitting at about 650 per month so we're onboarding retailers carefully and at the right time in the right categories so that we can deliver the service and OnBuy is clearly growing very very quickly off the back of what well, one actually having things to sell um and two being able to you know invest quite aggressively in marketing now to to grow customer demand and add, adding more value to customers so been a very very exciting four years the first two you know slower and the second two much faster and i would say as you get into the past eight months just unreal
0: yeah well, one that's epic so congratulations like that that's how, off to you that's an amazing story to that part so with this last four years then so that first two years you know where you're going through that you know that's that stage was there ever a point where you're like oh, this is just too tough Like, are we ever going to get to that tipping point? Not, I know you believe you're always going to do it. So I'm not saying you disbelieved yourself, but did you ever sit there and go, do you know, like, is it actually like going to happen? Like, I think it is. I know it is, but is it? Um,
1: not that anyone would have known, you know, because I I portray a certain picture, but uh, I wouldn't say quite as aggressive as that, but there was certainly points where I was thinking, how long, how long until this really happens, you know? Yeah. Um, how much longer is it until this moment? And, and I knew it was coming, um, but, but maybe six months away from it actually happening, I was a bit like, I thought it might've happened now. It's not happened just now. When is it gonna happen? Yeah. Um, and then when it did happen, uh, it was like, "Phew," <laughs> um, but you know, but but I did. You know, if you, if you asked anybody on the team back in the day, or even in recent terms, I am the one that, that comes in and goes, "This is happening." What happens is I have the moments where I think, "When, when, when," and then I think, "Do you know what? It's coming. We just got to go. We just just keep going. It will happen." I had every belief in it.
0: There's there's an interesting piece there about patience, because you know, quite often you'll you'll see um, you. People listening, you gurus, wannabes, whatever you want to call them, where you know they 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 haven't made it in two months, and they're like, "Oh, well, I'm quitting and going and doing something else because that hasn't quite worked." But there's a huge amount of patience and dedication and belief in yourself, the idea, and your team in order to make that work. Because you you over that two years, what what was you started with? What tenish people, I guess, to help you with that.
1: Yeah, it was, it, it, well, yeah, roughly, uh, grew uh, to 14 quite quickly again, but, um. And then yeah.
0: in that two year period, what was, you know, did you recruit much in that period or was it like, right, this is what we got to do, this is what we've got to go. Was it steady growth, you know, is it like?
1: Not really. Um, we, we got some angels to back us. We, we, we just kept the team where it needed to be. And we all started struggling, of course, as it grew, but we really stayed lean and keen. We actually opened our first institutional investment round in, uh, october 19 but we closed it in january 20 and it wasn't until march 20 by the time you get the funds and everything else that we we uh we we started to recruit people so we were still 14 people running a you know circa uh, well a multi-million pound company but um you know we were still 14 people we didn't even have a single person in our marketing team so there's a bit of a an insider joke wow.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah okay excellent so so that's that's great then until that period and then obviously you've then catapulted from there so let's, yeah let's we say, knew
1: knew what to do at that point yeah
0: well what point did you think we need angel investment uh, did you always know angel
1: that yeah we knew that we needed angels we took angel money quite early on um at various stages you know so we 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 took around two just under two million pounds worth of angel money over a period of two and a half, three years. Yeah.
0: And that, you know, that process, how, you, how does that, how did you start that? How did you, how does someone go about thinking, well, you know, is there a website I go to and I'll just say, Hey, let anyone got a couple of mil they can sh- borrow. It, it's me.
1: Fundraising is the worst part of business. And I can tell you now, you know, wholeheartedly when I exit on by IPO and we can, You know, in the future, have some liquidity while still being CEO. I'm planning to back business owners, get their business ideas growing, because going through that motion of actually raising money is horrific. Um, Angels, I have to say, you know, we had a little bit of luck with with a couple of angels. The first angel. uh, I think what happens is when you come from a career in tech, um, you meet people on the way um, and you build confidence. On the way without even realizing, in some cases, these people are investors, right? Both of my first angels had either been clients or contracted parties involved one way or another, nothing to do with investment. Yeah. And investment in by was born off the back of learning that I was about to open an investment round and them saying, Oh, don't do that. I'll invest. <laughs> um, so, Brilliant. as for me, getting the angel money. Was quite simple, which is very unusual. Well, just on that, because yeah. obviously,
0: yes, it was very simple. But what? But like, let's break that down because actually, clearly, you've had a whole networking piece around that because you don't just put out your email group. Hey, I'm looking for. Well, I'm presuming you didn't say. Hey, you put on your LinkedIn post. Hey, well, you do now. I get that, but you know, four years ago, it's not like hey, anyone got a couple of mil they can lend me. Yeah. Or, <laughs> it's more of a no, conversation, isn't
1: it? It? Starts, it starts differently. I mean, look, the first angel I was on the phone, I'd worked with him for a long time. I said, I'm about to go and get hundred I think it was 140,000 pounds in the pot, the first ever ticket. Um, and he said, Oh, I think he just asked me, you know, how are you getting on? What are you doing? Yeah, great, going well. We're getting this platform. We're nearly ready to start trading. We're going to raise 140,000 to do X, Y, and Z. And he went, oh, don't go and raise it. I'll give you that. Nice. I was like, what? Say what? Really? Okay, cool. You know, happy days. Good, you nice. know, but you build that up over time from having those relationships, having and building that trust. That didn't just happen, you know? No. Then the next stage kicked in, which was, okay, I need some more money. I need 250K. So I, I, I I'd met a client, actually. A client had brought this person in to be a financial advisor. And during a passive sort of conversation, he said to me, what else are you guys up to then? Obviously, been impressed by what we'd done, and I said, "Well, actually, you know, the truth be told, we're going to leave. We're going to leave uh, the web development world completely." This was when I was supporting Unbuy. Uh and very soon we're going to just be OnBuy. This this business is going to be growing, and he said, "Oh, okay." He said, well, what what's needed to make that happen?" And I said, "Well, we need to raise two hundred fifty k in the next three months." Uh, and but this was about three p.m., and by nine a.m. the next morning, he put two hundred fifty thousand pounds in our account um Brilliant. yeah the same investor i went to meet a few months later because we were gearing up towards first institutional investment uh and he wealthy guy you know um went to his, his, his very significant house we sat down we uh, he invited a vc to come and have dinner with us and meet and go through what this would look like anyway during the meeting i i he'd not had the opportunity to learn the whole vision right he just trusted me from the first meeting once he got to grips with everything that had happened and what we were doing, it was irrelevant to him whether VC was going to invest or not. Because he actually, when when the VC lady left the house, he said, I'll do the two million. Brilliant. So um, you know, so it was a it was a crazy, crazy ride. Where it gets tricky is you've got to think angels, high net worth individuals, there motivated personally right and they they'll, they're the ones that will take the gamble they're the one they're usually the entrepreneurs not the investment world right they're usually entrepreneurs they're the ones that say i see this i feel this i can sense this and they're looking at the founder thinking can the founder do this yeah institutional investors is where it gets trickier right they, they have a lot of tick boxes tick box exercise is a totally different experience and you know and and that then you you're open to a world of Stuff you never even realize, so your learning never ends. You sit down, you say, Look, this is what we're doing, this is where we're going. But
0: on yeah, that, then, crazy. So mm-hmm. where you've gone from, you know, the first round of investment, so you've got the funding. I'm not saying it was easy, but yep. you had a few conversations and made it happen. Yeah, as well as so, there you're talking about institutional funding, and it sounds like. That's much more difficult. So, did you? So, were you thinking, "Well, I need a bit, raise a bit more cash," and you're thinking, "Well, this is going to be straightforward," and then you start having to fill all these tick forms. Not you fill them in, but and it was more difficult. And all of a sudden, you're like, "Oh, well, damn it!"
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no word of a lie that institute raising institutional money is not the easiest thing in the world. If your business isn't a neat packaged business that somehow fits a niche that they feel is new to market and they don't can't really wrap their heads around a few things sometimes so you know we were very very lucky um well we're lucky by two things in a way uh, first one is that we met Fuel Ventures because the Fuel Ventures is entrepreneur-led rather than banker-led. So Mark Pearson at Fuel, you know, met me, had the dream and sort of went, this is a really, really good idea that we can back this. And even that was a bit of a challenge because they're like, you're taking on Amazon. Like, no, we're not taking on Amazon. That's not what we said. But naturally, you know, we're in a space that is, is going to pull some customers from Amazon. But that wasn't why we launched on. By to take on Amazon. We knew the market was big enough and emerging enough there was enough market share to keep retailers, you know, content with putting their eggs in more than one basket. Um, so, you know, living alongside is perfectly fine in a market that's a multi-trillion dollar market. Yeah. And we, 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 you know, we knew that. So once we got over those hurdles and everyone was on the same page, Fuel is, you know, they've backed us now three times and they've backed us in our current round. So Fuel was a great win for us. Um, every VC we meet that's not entrepreneur-led, Um, is is a different story. You know, they're a bit like, oh, Amazon, Mm, we'll stay out of this one. (laughs) Um, You know, and that's fine. You get it, right? I mean, the thing is, one of the things I say to a lot of founders that take their businesses out to to market, to raise money, I say, you know, uh, you've got to know who you're selling this to. And it's become a little bit easier. The second point I was going to say, it's become a little bit easier because, you know, one thing that COVID has really brought to the table is this Zoom, Teams, Yep. I cannot imagine what it would have been like for me having to go and meet 30, 40 investors physically to have those meetings that you can now have on Zoom and cram into two weeks.
0: Which you would have done 18 months ago.
1: Oh, my goodness. That would have been really painful, right? I mean, the amount of time having to go and sit with all of these investors and then some of them say, come to New York, you know honestly that would have been very painful how fast we've been able to accelerate this means that we're on the verge of clo- closing off current fundraise and it's only been open for 2 weeks yeah now, if we if you'd have gone back 18 24 months ago that might have taken weeks and weeks and weeks just because of travel which is insane
0: yeah i, I <laughs> great to, for, for what's going on right now. Every every business has got a different sort of period about this, haven't they? You know, and actually, you know, that ma- massive, you know amazing you've been able to capitalize on that because I think that's absolutely critical. So funding aside now, you know, that's all in place. You know, you're going through those rounds to build the business and presumably you know, the trajectory of the business, you're going to have to continue doing that in different ways as the business grows and scales, I guess, you know, putting on TV campaigns cost cash. Oh yeah. hundred percent.
1: Yeah. But it yeah. shouldn't cost too much cash. You know, one of the things that we've learned with OnBuy, which is quite exciting, you know, capital efficiency. If you were to go and actually have a look at how much, you know, a traditional typical marketplace spends and um, to get to a certain size, OnBuy is far disproportionate. So to date we had actually until a couple of weeks ago when we started opening this round we'd raised 8 million pounds and we'd only spent six and grown a business that's doing nearly 200 million in sales off the back of a 6 million pound investment puts on buying in a literally first best in class capital efficiency uh, out of every marketplace that we've been able to get any data on by
0: and that's why invest a want. mile
1: that's oh, why 100% want. yeah 100% And, you know, that that sends a strong message, you know, scale from low spend means that your business is both efficient and viable, that it will resonate. Because if you're pushing a boulder up a hill, then it's not a good business model, right? this This has got to work. And therefore, the investment that we take is spent to create scale not to support the underlying unit economics of the business. That, that's, that's not good business, right? So if we can spend, raise money and spend it to become more visible, more credible, attract more retailers and more customers, improve services ahead of time, and scale up the technology, i.e. to get a payback in the future, in the near future, that's a good investment. And where it's a bad investment is, you know, pushing this just to learn if it's going to work. And that's what so many marketplaces have done. And so many people have tried to enter this space with tens and tens of millions of investment, and have not got to the point that Omby's achieved, which is a real testament to our growth.
0: Yes, yeah, totally, totally. And so, you know, roadmap future. What what what's the sort of, you know, is it market share, market share, market share? Is that the, is that the ultimate goal over the next, I don't know, two three years? What's i would the, say
1: the ultimate goal it's clearly a kpi you know buying um, more customers reaching more people showing them our value yes. but through that market share comes um comes methodology right we need to what we're about to do this year is deliver something but let me explain this another way on buy to date people have always said to me what's your usp you know you've got a platform that essentially looks and smells like other marketplaces. What's new about it? You know, Amazon has Prime. There's a feature, there's a USP. eBay had auctions and listings and comparison, which actually has probably worked a little bit against them now. People want convenience. Um, And, you know, you look at all these different platforms. Jet in the US tried to do like a fulfillment scale model to build a USP, which is saving money. And all of these platforms try to have a USP. And if you look at what Unbuy is to date, you know, getting to the size that we are, and i'm going to be very honest you know you look at on and you say where's the usp I, I understand where they're coming from and the usp is is not as apparent so you say okay look let me explain our USP." level playing field we don't compete with the retailers which mean we can build trust with them their trust means they can offer things to customers without the fear that they shouldn't be listing certain things that they, sh- that they should fully engage and then once we do that you know retailers feel a sense of value from that so they Start offering promotions, deals, discounts, opportunities for customers because the retailers value the relationship. That's what we've said to date. Moving forward and in the next six months, we're about to deliver our our real, you know, nail in the coffin in in the sense that finally we've moved to a point in our journey. We've got a whole development roadmap and have since we started that moves into our real valuable USP. What can Onbuy deliver to its customers? And it's going to be really exciting to show in around summer, uh, summer to autumn, um, some brand new features on OnBuy. really big things that start to add massive consumer value. And I, I'm really excited about that.
0: Wicked. Well, I, well on that then, in, in uh, September, October, when you're launching that, we'll have to do a follow-up specifically on that <laughs> with you guys to make sure we're launching that effectively for you so everyone knows. Um so that's fantastic. So with all of this that, that's happening obviously you're building your sort of you know your portfolio your business if you like. What are you doing in and you ain't got much time I know that because I know it's like to run a business there ain't no time for some other stuff. But you in the background you know what is it you enjoy doing? What is it that you do to relax and chill out and get away from it?
1: Oh you need to ask this on our follow up call because at the moment this is 100% on by 100% of the time. Now, my dreams are blue of the, <laughs> of our logo <laughs> no i mean look i mean stress management and, and trying to unwind and switch off I, I do simple things i i try and carve out part of my weekend to just do normal things be with the kids try not to think about work um go out and walks. be with them go to the park stupid things like building a shed i did the other week or, you know, whatever it is, just to literally say, you know, I'm dad and partner at the end of the day. Um, and that's fundamentally why we do these things. Um, and you know, I, I can't, I can't just, uh, constantly be on, on by, um, but that, that's, that's enough for me, you know, finding time to do anything beyond that would be a disservice to my family when the rest of the time I'm literally connected to on by. So that, that, yeah, you, you see me as super dad at the weekends and and, and businessman in the weekdays. You know,
0: <laughs> nice. I love that. I love that. And so you talked about briefly a moment ago about you know supporting businesses in the future. You know, in, you know from an investment point of view. Yeah, you know clearly you've you've thought about that briefly. You know, is there anything you? Not, this is by the way for everyone listening. This is not an open like invitation to start emailing cash your business ideas. It might be, but that that's not what this is about. Um, you know. Have you, have you sort of thought of the sort of people and businesses you'd like to support in the future? You know, is it young entrepreneurs? Is it men? Is it women? Like, yeah, some people have an idea of their philanthropy-type work as well, you know? Yeah,
1: I, I mean, it's definitely, there's definitely no, uh, there's no clear plan yet, but there's certainly no preconceived judgment. I mean, we, I just want to find, in an ideal world, I want to find people with a mindset like mine Um, as early as possible, where they've got an idea. Maybe they just don't know how to connect all of the dots, but it's a really good idea and they're really driven people. Male, female, countries irrelevant, you know, literally just people with a good idea and the background to help support it that are driven and motivated and dedicated to it um, that I can help accelerate the learning. I would love to get involved with business you know, businesses where I can invest capital and expertise and be a bit more hands-on that that's the key there. Cause I feel that I could have done a lot more with a, with, with someone early on, you know, I probably could have cut off five years of this journey if there was, you know, someone there to support, not just give capital. And I think you, that that's that, where I want to be-
0: Kaz. Hmm? On that, have you had any sort of mentor coach type type people with, over the years? not really
1: um you know it's been an interesting one because every time i sort of align to to learn a little bit from someone the business has, has outgrown their experience and uh, and it, the thing is when you start getting into the realms of significant sales values and the monetary units we deal with the scale that we're about to deal with and everything it's not many people to ask which makes it you know interesting um I, as I said at the start, I'm an absorber and a learner and a listener and a thinker. And I, I try and learn from other people's experiences as well. I think, you know, well, that's gone wrong for them. I'm not touching that or that's gone right for them. I'll look at that and really absorbing information as I go, which is definitely helped. There's no question that watching other people's journeys and learning from their journeys has helped me, you know, dodge a few silver, you know, dodge a few bullets and, and really, you know, create a bit of silver lining. So I think that's paramount learn you know that it's it's uh, it's really important to pay attention to what's going on elsewhere
0: i think that's the, you know, the number one thing that you know, that for me is exactly that is how do you learn and educate yourself i mean all of the yeah you know, we've got a couple of podcasts we do you they're, they're essentially asking business owners where where they've made their mistakes so that mm. in all honesty it wasn't about creating a podcast it was how can i ultimately speak to people legitimately and say, Hey, I'd love to learn from mistakes. What have you learned that you can mistake? And actually, if you say, can I buy you a pint and then come and interrogate you about what you learned in your business? Most people are like, no, but if you say, Hey, can I invite you on a podcast and learn about your business? They go, yeah, sure. Um, it, it just over these years, you have learned so much from just that educating and people don't do that as much now as I think they could um i think you know that accelerates it's finding the right people i think what you said there is i've gone for a couple of those where it's just we're just out i think we used said they outgrown like the the vision or the everything else they've got just isn't quite in line so you know uh i think that's that's amazing so i think look we've taken up enough of your time on for for today's podcast because is there anything else you wanted to get across so people you know obviously you know if, if they're looking to expand their you know, e-commerce business, which this is all about, all of our clients are already being told they should be on OnBuy anyway. So that, that's a given, right? Um, Thank you. Anything, Thank you very much. <laughs> no problem at all. Yeah, what else from you? Yeah, any last sort of top tips, top ideas, past leaving message, if you like?
1: No, I think the, the big thing for me is, you know OnBuy has a lot to give this year and it would be great to onboard retailers this year um, to show you the real benefits that are in the pipeline for this year. You know, just to give you a bit of a teaser, we've got new mobile app coming. We've got new features alongside that to drive uh, loyalty discounts to customers. And there'll be more on that in the future. But really, really excited to get retails on the platform now. This year, we're just closing a funding round. Uh, it's going to give us significant investment for Q4 period this year on, on you know across uh, TV, across other platforms we're really, really excited to onboard retailers and grow. And if you're looking for a really, you know, easy way to scale your business, add incremental value, i.e. more customers um, that you can't get elsewhere, um, and then, you know, really do that at a fixed cost, uh, Onbuy is the right place to be. And we're not here to compete with our retailers. i reiterate again, we do not sell products. We will never sell products. So you can list knowing that the marketplace is here to, represent you and that every pound we sell is a pound turnover for one of our retailers not for ourselves so it's a really exciting time to join
0: fantastic well kaz uh thank you very much for your time this was the uh e-commerce expander secrets podcast thanks for your time and we'll see you on the next episode